Well, hello, school counselor. Welcome back to the School for School Counselors podcast. I'm Steph Johnson. This week, we're going to be talking about universal screeners. It is a huge buzzword right now in our field. It's a huge topic of interest. We have lots and lots of people talking about universal screeners. Which ones are the best ones? Which ones examine the things they're interested in on their campuses? Which ones are evidence-based? On and on and on and on. Everyone wants to talk about universal screeners. But I think there are a few important caveats that aren't as readily discussed. And so we're going to hop into those today. I want to give you a really comprehensive overview of universal screeners and maybe some factors you haven't considered yet. Before we jump into that, as always, I love sharing reviews that come in for the podcast. It is the currency of the podcasting world. It's how we are able to have uh, platforms like Apple and Spotify and all those guys let people know about our podcast. As the days go on, it gets harder and harder for us little guys to compete and get the word out. And so your help is always so appreciated. This review this week comes from Journey One. It says, thank you. I find this podcast helpful and real. I always feel like I'm on an island by myself, being the only counselor in the school of 765 students, not including pre-K. I have other school counselors that mention all of the great things they do, but their schools are half the size. I'm happy that you've helped me keep that in perspective. Thank you. Jirani One, I thank you for your review. I think you've touched on a really important point. Often we try to compare ourselves to other people. We try to compare ourselves to different things people say, pictures they may post, things we read on social media or on the internet, and we feel like we should be doing all of the things, right? And like if we're not doing all the things, we're not competing well, we're not staying up to everyone else's level, that somehow that means we're not doing enough. You know, we had a meeting with our School for School Counselors Mastermind this afternoon, the afternoon that I'm recording this podcast episode. And one of the things I urged my masterminders to do is stop apologizing for a dysfunctional work environment, right? If you've been given seven, eight, nine hundred kids to serve on your campus, you're not going to be able to do all the cute, fun, frilly things that you see posted on Instagram. It's just not possible. But instead of feeling badly about it, Instead of chastising yourself over that and feeling like you're not enough, keep it in perspective. Don't feel like you have to apologize for your dysfunctional work environment. And lean on us. We want to help you with that for sure. So thanks again. Guys, if you haven't submitted your rating or review, oh my gosh, we could use those right now so badly, so much. If you could go on your podcast platform of choice and either rate Or if you're on Apple, review us as well. It's going to help us so tremendously. And I know I talk about this every week, but it's so important. And I just read my last review that I have posted on Apple Podcasts. I need some more, guys. So bring them my way. I would love to be able to read your review in an episode. All right, so today we're going to be talking about universal screeners, about the idea behind them and some things that folks don't often discuss when the topic comes up. Universal screeners are screeners that are administered to all students on a campus, regardless of their risk status. 
So these are not students that have been referred for more intensive services, such as IDEA or something like that. This is everybody, regardless of their risk status. And these are supposed to be very brief, very reliable, and valid tools. So they need to show high levels of reliability and validity when they're administered. And the idea is, if we can catch mental health concerns in students early enough, we can be a little bit more proactive about preventing bigger issues on down the road. And I love that idea, especially because we know that one in five students will experience a significant mental health problem during their school years. Did you know that? One in five. So 20% are going to experience a significant mental health problem. When you get to young adults, that number goes up to one-third. And 70% of these students will never receive the appropriate services. That's an interesting statistic. We're going to circle back around to that one in just a minute, so file it in your mind. But as we talk through universal screeners, and it sounds fantastic, right? Let's screen all the students. Let's find out where everybody stands. Let's find out who's struggling. Let's get in there. Let's be proactive. Let's be preventative. and Let's make students succeed, right? But there's some things we don't think about as we're having that conversation. And so I think both from a professional perspective, an ethical perspective, and perhaps even a moral perspective, there are some more conversations we need to be having when we think about universal screeners. A study by, I'm going to butcher this name so badly, it looks like Kilgu and Wallach, 2010, identifies four primary ethical dilemmas with universal screeners. Now, they were focused more on using universal screeners as a research tool in schools, but I think this speaks to the administration of screeners in general. So I'm going to offer these ideas. First is the idea of community acceptance. Often when we start talking about screening students for mental health concerns, there is a tremendous stigma involved, right? You have parents or families who are not super excited about having some of their family's challenges brought to light. They're not very willing to have those conversations. Sometimes they don't even want to recognize them. Sometimes they don't even know they're there, but they're just worried somebody's going to say something. And so there's that stigma. We also have to ask if a universal screener is appropriate to be providing in school in the first place. Now, some of you are going to take issue with that, and I get it, but I think we have to identify our true role on campus. Is it to completely exacerbate all mental health concerns, or is it to ensure that students can be their best selves through academics, social-emotional skills, and career readiness? That's an important distinction, and I think we often get in that mindset of, Uh, fixer versus helper. And that's when we really want to start to screen everything, right? Find all the things. Let's fix all the problems. Let's solve it all. Is it really appropriate for a school environment? And then there are some concerns about privacy. There are definite concerns with FERPA. There are also some concerns with PPRA. We're going to get into that in just a minute. So if you don't know what that is, don't fear. We're going to explain it all. But at the core of this is, is the need for a universal screener great enough 
to trump families' concerns for privacy? That's a big question, isn't it? That's a very big question. And I want you to think about if you've ever had any involvement in your family with any sort of mental health concern, whether it be acute or whether it be chronic, it doesn't matter. Would you be exceptionally ready for someone to stand on a rooftop and shout out your family's business while you were in the middle of it? And although that's not what we're doing with these universal screeners, we ensure families that we're going to keep information confidential. It's not the way it feels to them. And I think that's something we really need to be aware of. So first, community acceptance. Are our school families even going to want to participate in these? Are they going to buy in? Second, and related, is family rights. Every organization that has remarked on universal screeners has remarked on the need to gain parental consent. You must have parental consent in order to administer a universal screener. PPRA, Protection of Pupil Rights Amendment, says that when we administer something on campus that could provide potentially embarrassing information about the family with relation to mental health, we're required to gain consent from the parent. PPRA protects eight major areas of information with regard to students and anything that has to do with political affiliations, sex behaviors, antisocial or illegal behaviors, critical appraisals of people who they uh, students have close relationships with, legally recognized privileged relationships, religious practices, income, and mental or psychological problems of the student or the student's family. So once we begin talking about mental health and screening for mental health concerns, it automatically puts us in that PPRA category. That's when we're required to gain consent from the parent. We're not talking about opt-out consent. We're not talking about sending a note home saying, we're going to provide this universal screener, and if you don't want your student to participate, just send this back. Sign it and send it back. That's the way a lot of folks like to try to do their consents because it's, <laughs> it's less time on their part, right? There's not as much paper to track, and it's really easy to say, oh, well, everybody's good with it when you don't get any of the forms back. But you also cannot guarantee that that form ever made it to the parent. And so that's a terrible way to gain consent. I don't like it and I don't support it. I'm just going to be real upfront about that. Please do not provide a reverse consent. All right. It's a bad idea. You've got to get active consent from the parent and also assent from the student. Um, you have to provide the opportunity for them to opt out if they don't want to participate or they don't want their information involved in the screener. They have to have the option to opt out. and they have the right to inspect the screener beforehand. That gets kind of tricky, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I don't know how valid a screener would feel if I knew the parent had had the opportunity to see the questions ahead of time. Like, let's talk about skewing our data a little bit. That'd do it, right? So we've got to be careful about PPRA and following those guidelines. So now that we know that these universal screeners are protected by PPRA, that we have to gain consent from the parent and assent from the student, we also have to look a little bit further in these screeners and determine whether or not 
it violates any cultural norms. This is one that 99% of the time is overlooked as we're talking about universal screeners. There are very few screeners that have been developed to reflect culturally specific ways of understanding or talking about mental health. And the evidence of using these tools for racially and ethnically minoritized populations is lacking. That's a quote from Stephanie Moore from the University of California, Riverside. I think it's important to think about, you know, are we even considering the linguistic appropriateness of a universal screener? Are we looking at what different opinions on normal development look like across cultures? I don't know that there's a way to capture all of that nuance in a universal screener. So just keep that in mind as you're having this debate on your campuses as to whether or not you feel this is going to be appropriate for your student population. So we've talked through community acceptance and family rights. Now we've got to think about the identification piece. There is often misidentification that can occur. You're going to get either some false positives or you're going to get false negatives, right? And those are going to kind of sound the battle alarms either way. Now, the literature assures us that it's better to get false positives, right? So we can be more proactive. There's an issue with that. I'll get to that in a minute. But let me offer you a story for perspective. Here in Texas, we are required to screen early elementary students for benchmarks of possible dyslexia. So we screen all of our little ones. We identify those that we feel might be at risk for dyslexia. And then we're required to notify parents of that risk. When parents receive these risk letters, number one, not all the students that we identify as at risk for dyslexia are going to end up being dyslexic. So we have a lot of false positives going on here. But then we send those letters home to parents and parents don't read it as my student could potentially have dyslexia. They read it as, oh my gosh, my kid's dyslexic. And then they get really amped up and excited about asking for further testing, more accommodations, all these things. And what it's led to in our state is a huge backlog of processing for special education students due to all these extra dyslexia testing. It's almost like the systems are ill-equipped to handle the level of requests that they're getting. So that's a true concern. We've also got to look at How are we going to provide these results? How are we going to communicate or disseminate them to parents? Are we going to be causing overreactions? Much like my dyslexia example, where everybody just jumps to a conclusion. If they say this is possible, then it must be true. And then parents start searching for services. Are we going to be added to the already overburdened mental health systems, creating backlogs and things like that? Remember that statistic about 70% of students not receiving appropriate services. That statistic was developed pre-COVID. So think about how your services have backlogs now where you are. Are we going to be adding to this? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be providing services because there aren't any to provide. That's not what I'm saying. But do we want to provide a whole bunch of false positives to this? and then further overburden our systems. It's a point worth considering. 
And I'm not making an argument for or against universal screeners. It's not my point here. My point is just to bring to light a lot of things that people have not typically considered. Piggybacking on that, we have to consider service delivery. Once we identify students as having mental health concerns, are we prepared to provide the services needed? Are we going to be able to facilitate those on our campuses? Are we going to need to refer those out? If so, to who? How timely is that going to be? We've got to consider beneficence here, right? We've got to consider, is this really helpful to students in the long run? Further, is it going to lead to increased use of medications for students? Sometimes when students can't get mental health feedback, they're going to jump to the pediatrician. Please give us some medicine for this, not knowing what the core issue is. Physicians aren't always equipped to identify all of those mental health needs. It's a concern. And our ASCA expectations tell us that we should be providing short-term counseling on campuses to facilitate students' success in school. Do we need to be opening Pandora's box of all the possible mental health concerns that are going on on your campus? Morally, perhaps. Ethically, maybe not. It's an interesting conversation to have. So I think there are a lot of things at play as we're talking about these universal screeners. My take on it is, uh, I don't think we should be talking about universal screeners until we have managed to implement effective caseloads for all school counselors. I think it's ridiculous to be talking about increasing mental health services in schools when we haven't equipped the people entrusted for providing those services to be able to do their jobs effectively. We need to be really, really cognizant of that and really aware. If we're going to embark on this journey, we need to make sure we have the appropriate supports in place. Maybe we should lean into appropriate caseloads. Maybe we should lean into the idea that if a school counselor is serving 250 students on their campus per ASCA's recommendation, that means that they're going to have approximately 50 students on their campus who are going to exhibit some sort of mental health concern, leading to 35 students needing services. Now, that's still a hefty caseload, but more manageable, so that if outside services weren't able to be obtained, we would still be able to jump in and ensure that we're doing no harm. And we really need a way to anticipate what we think we're going to be getting back from these things so we can prepare. To me, that is the most ethically sound way to proceed. And in my notes, I even went so far as to write maybe an example of data gone wrong. Nothing for nothing, there are a lot of companies out there that stand to make a lot of money, not only in providing universal screeners for students, but with what they do with student information once that's obtained. I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe that all companies do this out of the goodness of their hearts. And even though they tell you that they're protecting data, They're not always protecting it in the way that you would imagine. So it's important to know all those little pieces. All right, so this has gone on long enough, but I did want to give you some thoughts on universal screeners, some things to consider if you're already offering those on your campus or if you're considering doing so in the future. Just some questions to be asking. 
Will there be a stigma among your families? Are universal screeners even appropriate to be providing in schools? When we talk about concerns with privacy, service delivery, and caseloads, is this even the right time and place to be doing this? If you choose to provide universal screeners, are you in compliance with PPRA? And are your screeners attuned to cultural norms, to linguistic appropriateness, so that it is accurately identifying students on campus? These are some big, big questions. Y'all, that was a deep, deep discussion on universal screeners. I hope I didn't lose you on the way there. It's something that's been heavy on my heart. It's banter that I see tossed around in social media and things like that, just kind of willy-nilly, you know. We're going to provide this universal screener. Which one do you think is the best? Oh, we use this one. We use that one. And no one ever talks about the intricacies and the nuance of the issues inside those screeners. So I just kind of wanted to open your mind to those. I wanted to get you thinking around them and really considering whether this is going to be the right move for your campus or for your district. As always, we are here to educate, empower, and advocate for our school counselors. I hope you feel supported through this conversation. If you want to hear more or think more about it, there are two ways to do that. Number one, come join us in our School for School Counselors Facebook group. If you haven't joined us there, that's an excellent way to stay part of the conversations. You can also head over to our School for School Counselors Mastermind, schoolforschoolcounselors.com slash mastermind, where we have conversations about these kinds of things all the time. And we often come out of the conversations with a different perspective or a different take on a question that we had. And it is absolutely the most inspiring and empowering community for school counselors on the face of the earth. I guarantee it. So if you're looking for a group of folks to inspire you, to support you and help you grow as a practitioner, that's where you need to head. Schoolforschoolcounselors.com slash mastermind. And I'll look forward to seeing you in there. All right, keep listening. I'll be back with another episode here very, very soon. And the next one's going to be a little bit of a surprise. It's going to be a little bit of a change from what we've been doing here so far. So make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss it when it comes out. And I will see you next time. Until then, have the best week.